We've spent two years walking through the Gospel of John. And the decision to go through the Gospel of John was, uh, it, was it, it came from a concern that we had for, for all of you and, and for, for, for every student ministry everywhere. There, there was a concern that we had that led us to, wanting to, to want to walk through the Gospel of John. And, and I hope that it's been as profitable and as fruitful of a study for you as it has been for me. Uh, we learned so much going through that gospel. But after coming out of the gospel of John, it, it's funny how when you focus and study something for so long, it, it's almost as if the, the opposite concern has surfaced. And what I want to do tonight is walk us through why we looked at the gospel of John and where we need to go now that we've completed that book. Because the Gospel of John was an essential message. But in studying that message, there's, there's, there's other things that start to pop up that, that we want to give our focus to. And so what this study is going to be is essentially a response to that. This is going to be really a transitional sermon tonight as we, as we leap into this next study uh, that we're going to call Activate. We are not calling this Activate because I was really uh, busy and couldn't come up with another title. We're calling this Activate because this study is why we call this student ministry what we do. We, we call this ministry Activate because uh, when, I, when I first came here, my, my burden for us, and it hasn't changed, is that we would see gospel truths activated in our lives. That word activate means to take something from a state of dormancy to a state of activity. To cause something that's not moving to move. To cause something that's not living to live. And I think often in the church, that can be the state of so many who walk through the doors every week. In student ministry, that can be the state of of the majority of students. That gospel truths, while they may claim the gospel, while they may claim that they believe in Jesus, those gospel truths aren't working themselves out in the lives of students. And so what we're going to do for the next several months is we're going to revisit that purpose that we really have as a a broad goal in this student ministry as a whole. I want us to learn to put our faith into action. I want us to learn to not just believe, but to have a belief that changes our life. So I hope that you're with me in this burden and that you're willing to learn how we can grow in this way because every one of us can grow in this topic. How we're going to structure this tonight is this, this is essentially going to be a springboard for us as we, as we, as we jump into this this next series, we're going to structure this as two warnings, two warnings after studying the Gospel of John, two warnings after studying the Gospel of John. The first warning that I would give to you for why we studied the Gospel of John is don't forget why we studied the Gospel of John. Don't forget why. We studied the Gospel of John.
Now, my guess is if I were to go around the room and ask you all, why did we study the Gospel of John for two whole years? It's like 40 of you in this room right now. We'd probably get 40 different answers. Why did we study the Gospel of John? All right, so I'm calling you first and foremost as we spring from this last series into this next series. Don't forget why we studied that gospel. Don't ever forget why we studied that gospel. So we need to ask the question then, why did we study the gospel of John? Why did we study that book? We studied the gospel of John because as a, as a leadership team, all the leaders in this room, were concerned for the souls of the students in this ministry. We were concerned for the souls of the students in this ministry. That concern primarily manifested itself in, in, in this, this awareness that, that I hope you have. If I don't know Christ, nothing else matters. I hope that that statement is true to you. If I don't know Christ, there is nothing else that matters. For those of you that are already there, everyone else turn to Matthew chapter 27. I want you to draw your eyes to verses 21 through 23. Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23. You guys know this passage. You've heard this passage, but I want us to revisit this because this reality, this event, is why we studied that book. This is the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus looks to those who are hearing his message, hearing his gospel presentation in the Sermon on the Mount. And he says to those listening, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my father, it is he who will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name cast out demons? And in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. In, in that scene, Jesus is looking to the judgment day. And on the judgment day, there are men and women, many, he says, many, who will come up to me and say, Lord, Lord, did we not do this and this and this? And Jesus will look back at those people and say, I never knew you. Depart. You don't enter into heaven. You depart. What was the problem that Jesus states of all of those people that are going to him and saying, Lord, Lord? 
Their, their problem is that they didn't know Christ. They didn't know Him. They, they didn't have a personal relationship with Jesus. And because they didn't know Him, because they didn't have a personal relationship with Him, He didn't have a personal relationship with them. He didn't know them. And so He says, depart from me. Because they didn't know Jesus. They had not trusted in the name of Jesus, the crucified and resurrected Son of God, to pay the penalty for their sins. And so he'll look at them and say, I don't know you. We have no personal relationship. You're not mine. Depart. I think maybe my greatest fear in this ministry is that there would be students that would fall into that category. Who would approach Jesus and say, didn't I do this and this and this? And he would say, I didn't know you. You didn't know me. So you cannot enter into heaven because you did not have a personal relationship with me. That's, that's, I, think, I think that's probably my greatest fear in this ministry. There will be students who they just they don't even know Jesus. They may come to church. If you're here, you're coming to church. You may sing about Jesus. You may listen and hear sermons about Jesus. You may even take notes about Jesus. You may hang out with friends who also know Jesus. But, but if you look back to this passage, even the men and women in this scene, they performed righteous acts. They were around the church. Look, look, look at what they say to Jesus. We, we casted out demons in your name. We, we prophesied in your name. We performed miracles, many miracles in your name. And yet Jesus will look back to them and say, I never knew you. They performed righteous and religious acts, but those righteous religious acts were hypocrisy. They were fake. They were external. And and in that is a lesson that's been true from the beginning of time. That God hates religious acts that do not stem from a changed heart. God hates religious acts that do not stem from a changed heart. These men and women walked up to Jesus and said, we prophesied, we casted out demons, we performed miracles, all religious acts, but it wasn't from a changed heart. And so Jesus looks back at them and he says, I never knew you. Not, I knew you once and then uh, you you lost your salvation. Not, I I wanted to know you, but I never knew you. Never. I have no relationship with you. Because though they performed religious acts, it did not stem from a changed heart. God hates. He abhors religious acts. that do not stem from a changed heart. Turn your Bibles over to the book of Isaiah. It's in the Old Testament. If 
you open the Psalms in the middle of the Bible and turn over about five books, Isaiah, the first chapter, Isaiah chapter 1. This passage so clearly shows us how God hates the religious acts that are separated from a changed heart. This is how Isaiah begins his book, and he's writing to Judah and Jerusalem, the children of Israel. He's writing to Jews. Isaiah chapter 1, look at verse 11. God is going to talk. He's going to use a whole bunch of interesting words here. They're all religious acts that the Jews were commanded to perform. Look at the message that God has for the, for, for the Jews. Verse 11. What are your multiplied sacrifices to me, says the Lord? I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed cattle. I take no pleasure in the blood of bulls, lambs, or goats. When you come to appear before me, who requires of you this trampling of my courts? Bring your worthless offerings no longer. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath, the calling of assemblies. I cannot endure iniquity in the solemn assembly. I hate your new moon festivals. And I hate your appointed feasts. They've become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. So when you spread out your hands in prayer, I will hide my eyes from you. Yes, even though you multiply prayers, I will not listen because your hands are covered with blood. So wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from my sight. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Cease justice. Seek justice, reprove the ruthless, defend the orphan, plead for the widow. Come now, and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are as scarlet, they will be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they will be like wool if you consent and obey. Then you will eat the best of the land. Everything that God just said to the Israelites in that scene were things that he had commanded them to do in the law. He had commanded them to bring sacrifices. He had called them to, to celebrate on certain days. He, he had called them to pray to him, to multiply their prayers to him. And yet in Isaiah chapter 1, God has a message through the prophet Isaiah for the Israelites. And that message is stop it. Stop bringing your offerings. Stop praying, stop worshiping, stop celebrating what I've called you to celebrate. You know why? Because their religious acts didn't stem from a changed heart. And so God says, I hate it. I hate your worship. I hate your religious acts. I cannot bear them any longer. I cannot stand for there to be sin and the solemn assembly. I cannot stand for there to be unrighteous lives and worship. 
He commands them to stop their religious acts because they do not stem from a changed heart. God calls the Israelites to live righteously. And he, he wants you to live righteously in, in all of your life. And he wants that to come from a changed heart. Otherwise, you are what Jesus calls a whitewashed tomb. You may look good on the outside. You may perform religious acts. You may show up to church. You may whatever. But on the inside is death. You're like a tomb that's white on the outside, but inside is filled with death. The reason we walked through the Gospel of John was because we were concerned for the souls of students in our ministry, that they would perform religious acts, but not actually be changed from the inside out. The reason we walked through the Gospel of John is because if you don't know Christ, if you don't have a personal relationship with Christ, it doesn't matter what else you do, nothing else matters. Nothing. So the thought was, God forbid that, that a student come in and leave this ministry without being exposed to the truth that is necessary for them to have a personal relationship with Christ. And that is what the Gospel of John gives us. It's written that you would believe. That you would believe. It's written so that you would not be like the one on the last day who will say, Lord, Lord, didn't I do this and this and this? And he'll say, I never knew you. Don't forget that. Don't forget why we studied the Gospel of John. I want to summarize this with this statement. Be wary. Let's be cautious. Be suspicious. Be concerned of religious activity that, doesn't, that is separated from genuine belief. Lord, be wary. Keep your guard up. Watch out for religious activity that is separated from genuine belief. See, the problem in Isaiah chapter 1 and the problem in Matthew chapter 7 is not that those people were performing those religious actions. Those were actually all in obedience to God. The problem is that religious activity was separated from genuine belief. That's why they're condemned. So be suspicious. Be careful. Keep your guard up in regard to religious activity that is separated from genuine belief. Now, we're going to jump into this second point, this second warning that stems from the Gospel of John. And it's going to look a whole lot like this point with some things switched. Because that was why we studied the Gospel of John. Now, coming out of the Gospel of John, there's a second conversation that we need to have. And this, this is the, the point from which we will springboard into this study. Don't forget why we studied the Gospel of John. Number two, be wary of belief that is separated from a life that has changed. Be wary of belief that is separated from a life 
that is changed. Be careful. Have your guard up. Be suspicious. Watch out that you would have a belief in Jesus, but that that belief would not result in a life that is changed. So if the first concern is a concern that led to us studying the Gospel of John, and that is that there would be religious activity happening, but that you wouldn't know Christ. The second concern would be that you would think that you know Christ, but that that's not resulting in a life that has changed. Now, if you remember through the Gospel of John, Jesus was concerned about this exact thing all through his ministry. Jesus continually warned his followers about belief apart from obedience. All through the Gospel of John. We're going to backtrack through the Gospel of John for just a second because Jesus continually was warning his followers about thinking that they believed Jesus, which is what they're called to do all through the Gospel of John. Thinking that they believed him, but, but that belief was separated. It was apart from obedience to Jesus. So after you... Take a note of that statement. Jesus continually warned his followers about belief apart from obedience. We're going to go back to the Gospel of John. So go to John chapter 2. I want you to see how this is woven all through this Gospel. It was a burden of Jesus as he called men to belief that they would, that they would miss something. That they would misunderstand fundamentally what belief was. John chapter 2. Jumping back two years. John chapter 2, verses 23 through 25. Now, when he, Jesus, was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, look at this, many believed in his name, observing his signs, which he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, was not entrusting himself to them, for he knew all men. Because he did not need anyone to testify concerning man, for he himself knew what was in man. We're given a report in John chapter 2, verse 23, that Jesus is going about his public ministry and people are believing in him. The believing, which seemingly is a cause for rejoicing. Jesus preaching the gospel. Jesus in this scene is, is cleansing the temple. People are believing. So what does Jesus do? Verse 24 says he doesn't entrust himself to them. He doesn't lend himself to them. He doesn't, doesn't give himself to them. Why? Because he knows what's in men's heart. He knows that these people who are believing in Jesus would be prone to believing in Jesus for the wrong reasons. In the Gospel of John, there are two kinds of belief, and we highlighted this several times throughout this study. There's, there's belief, genuine belief, and then what, what Jesus essentially calls like belief, maybe a, a, a mental assent to facts that is different from genuine belief. And there's all sorts of different markers for identifying which one is which. Jesus explains which one is, the, is which. In John chapter 8. Turn over to John 8. 
31. Many are believing. Jesus continuing his ministry. People are believing. John chapter 8, verse 31. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed in him, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. If you continue in my word, Jesus says, then you are truly disciples of mine. So his disciples may have the question, we're we're following you. How do we know if we're true followers? How do we know if we're true disciples? Jesus looks at the men and women who are following him. And he says, you know how you know if you truly believe? You know how you know if you're truly a disciple? If you continue in my word. In other words, if you obey. If after I leave, you continue to obey me. Jesus was concerned for his disciples with with the exact same concern that, 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 that we have for you all in this ministry. That you would appreciate truth, that you would appreciate the gospel, that you would love truth, that you would follow truth, that you would sing truth, that you would talk about truth but that you would not be changed by the truth. Even Jesus' closest disciples were subject to this. Remember where we ended the study in John chapter 21. Just just before then, Judas has betrayed Jesus, who followed Jesus, who was a disciple of Jesus. He turned on him. He ceased to obey. Peter denies Jesus. Jesus has to ask him, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Remember what he calls him to do, to obey. If you love me, obey me. Even Jesus' closest disciples were subject to the same threat that we still have today, that we would follow Jesus, that we would believe the truths about Jesus, but that we wouldn't obey Jesus. Jesus says, you want to know if you're a true follower, a true believer, a true disciple, then continue in my word. It is so easy to appreciate the truth of the gospel. It is is difficult to apply the truth of the gospel. So what I want us to be aware of, and we're going to spring forward from this truth as we continue in this study. Appreciation. Can you jump forward for me, Jack? I got disconnected. Appreciation without application is self-deception. Appreciation without application is self-deception. We needed to study the Gospel of John. But my concern coming out of the Gospel of John is that we would appreciate the Gospel without applying the Gospel. If you find yourself in that category, and and by the way, we're all in this category on some level. then there is a sense in which you are deceiving yourself. We're going to see that in the book of James next time we look at this together. If you 
appreciate truth without applying truth, you lie to yourself. And you don't just lie to yourself, you believe a lie to yourself. And so, so much of what I want to do over these next months is expose that lie to yourself and, and to help you to disbelieve that lie about yourself. That, that you can have assent to truths mentally, but if that's not changing your life, then it's not genuine belief. It's not genuine faith. Appreciation without application is self-deception. That this happens all the time. This probably happens to you guys in small groups almost every week where you go to small groups and, and you know, like this, maybe at camp or, or, or on Wednesday nights or, or like the conference we just went to where it's easy to say, I liked this line. I liked when he said this. I liked this illustration. I thought this story was funny, whatever. But, but how often in, in small groups and discipleship context do you say things like when, when that preacher said this, it made me realize that I have sin in my life, that I need to change, that I need to change now. So I need your help to keep me accountable to pursue that. That's appreciation and application. I've... I've I've sat in a lot of our small groups on, on the guy's side. I've sat in all of the small groups on the guy's side. And I'm concerned that that's not happening. That there's appreciation without application. And if that's where you fall, you're deceiving yourself. Jesus says, if you continue in my word then you're truly disciples of mine. I hope that you're feeling conviction on some level. But I also want all of us to be aware that we all struggle with it. I struggle with this, of appreciating without applying. That, that's our flesh. And we appreciate without applying for various reasons. And so some of what we're going to do in this study is revealing and exposing those reasons and then equipping us to be able to fight that. We need to learn how to activate our faith. We need to learn how to, how to take it from a state of dormancy to a state of activity. So that's where we're going to be in the coming months. I wanted you guys to hear the burden the burden with which we studied all that we studied in the Gospel of John, the truth that we need to remember, but then not separating that from applying that truth in our lives, from activating that truth in our lives.